0: Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. As industrial business leaders increasingly recognize the future potential of the industrial internet of things, global spending on IIoT platforms is expected to surge to $12.4 billion in 2024. This is a massive jump from the only $1.7 billion spend in 2018. To further explore what the fast approaching future of IIoT might look like, I'm joined today by Sean Davison. Sean is the CEO of DevIQ, a custom software engineering firm that designs IoT ecosystems in an effort to redefine the way people work and change what people think is possible through continued tech innovation. He is also a serial entrepreneur and software architect with more than 30 years of experience designing solutions focused technology that actively improves the lives of its users. In today's episode, we'll shift the broader industry conversation away from talking about IIoT as just a vague buzzword and instead share tangible examples of its integration across diverse manufacturing applications. Sean and I will also discuss the growing trend of manufacturing products as a service and how industrial business leaders can harness the power of data and AI to further fuel production efficiency and business development. Hey, Sean, thanks again for joining us on the Thomas Industry Update Podcast. Super excited about our conversation here this morning. And let me start off with perhaps an example. Can you give us an example of a cool application of IIoT?
1: Absolutely, Tony. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. Glad to be here. So a cool application, one of the applications that we've been working on is basically connected lighting systems in the industrial IoT environment being able to manage and automate lighting in factories, as well as outdoor industrial environments. And lighting is becoming essentially the backbone for a lot of other capabilities, including networking, Wi-Fi, audio detection, air quality, metering, the list goes on. So that's a significant area that we're focused on today.
0: I love it because I think for a lot of our listeners, you know, these ideas around industry 4.0 and i i o t and other things are are increasingly mainstream. But I think for others, just trying to find a, a very visceral and straightforward example like that is a great way to kind of ground people and understand some of the things that you and I are going to talk about here this morning.
1: I agree. IoT is one of those buzzwords that means everything and means nothing. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well said. And it's getting abused out there like a lot of uh, buzzwords, right? People are using it to mean all kinds of different things. But I think your example is a good one. I, I have some friends that are in somewhat related businesses to yours, and they got involved in a project at Disney where they were literally putting sensors on trash cans to have a better experience at the theme parks of understanding when trash cans needed to be emptied. And I sometimes use that example to help people go, oh, I see what you're talking about here. I understand this. You know, and it kind of brings it to out of the buzzword and out of the clouds—no pun intended—and creates a sense of understanding or accessibility around the topic.
1: I think that's a great example. And, and yeah. yes, uh, uh, when I talk to people, I have to ask them if they're familiar with IoT or Internet of Things because you know a lot of people are, and a lot of people are not today. So there's a there's an education that's required today. To uh, but as soon as you give them an example, such as uh, another example that we've contributed to is smart panels in the home, you know, uh, whether it's a panel that controls your security system, that's connected to the cloud, or an iPad or mobile device. All of that is IoT at some level. The question is, is it connected? Is it doing things on its own that do not require a human you know, intervention? And is it passing data and providing
0: significant value in that respect? Great description. Hey, so let's back up to go forward a little bit, Sean, and talk about your background and what was your path like in this? And And I'm particularly intrigued here because if I could use the expression, you're a software guy, but you're also deploying software in arenas of manufacturing and other areas. So give us a bit about your background and how you came to create the company you're involved in.
1: Absolutely. I've actually been building and architecting software products and services for more than 30 years. If you haven't noticed, software is eating the world. <laughs> I was going to use that expression.
0: I'm glad you did.
1: <laughs> for me, uh, it actually started in the late 70s when I had the opportunity to play with an Apple II computer. Steve Wozniak, who was one of the co founders of Apple, was my hero as a teenager. And so I, I quickly just became very focused on building software. And to fast forward in short, I've built six software and technology companies over the years and three have gone on to be acquired by large public companies today. I spent a a lot of time in multiple industries, including telecom, retail, e-commerce, internet, SaaS, healthcare, and now discrete manufacturing and industrial IoT. And I'd say through Internet of Things uh, or IoT Today, and uh, we use the term Industry 4.0, there's a significant convergence of software and the physical world. That's where it gets really exciting in that, that blend of you know what was simply on a computer before is now all around us in the industrial environment.
0: And Sean, why now the industrial market? I, I can guess a bit, and I think we're going to have some real common ground here, but as you tick through those markets as you went through you're now looking at the industrial marketplace what were the dynamics of that marketplace that as a if i can use the expression as an entrepreneur you saw hey now is the time for software to step into that part of the marketplace
1: yes it was a it was really a natural progression in that our experience my experience and my team's experience in building great software and user experiences is now very much in demand in the industrial IOT um, and industry environments. So user experience or that, what we call that end-to-end ecosystem and creating an experience that spans all the devices and the systems and makes things work across an entire ecosystem today. It's not just about speed and efficiency. It's about creating an experience that works the users be very productive and increase value for the business.
0: Yeah, Sean, it's interesting, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm visualizing that as you talk about that kind of end-to-end approach. You, you know, at Thomas, we've been using the expression in the marketplace from interest to invoice of helping companies and customers of ours that are in the industry understand there's an ability today to connect that end-to-end, to have the data end-to-end, and as a result, Create a better customer experience and, frankly, a better internal user experience. Depending on you know which side of the two-sided marketplace you're sitting in this context, but I love the way you're you're thinking about that. We use a perspective here, and you know, pardon, it's going to get a little buzzy uh, here, but I strongly believe that 2020 will be the year we'll look back and realize Industry 4.0 became a reality and not just a slogan or a buzzword. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely. I, I think we're at a tipping point and there's a lot going on in the industry. So one thing in particular around um, Industry 4.0 that I think uh, is contributing to that is the shift from product as a widget to product as a service. And this is that we're certainly interested in, and focused on. You think about it, any manufacturer that produces a complex, serviceable product today has the potential benefits of moving from what I call a basically a widget maker. To a product as a service model, and the benefits to the manufacturer as well as the end client are significant. Uh, you get better service, user experience improves, uh, as well as the margins and long-term contracts. So there's a lot of value that comes from that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic area, Sean. You know, we are studying that very closely. And when you start to add in advances in, well, it's not new technology; it's moving quickly. Additive manufacturing or 3D printing, and you start to think about the opportunities to move that service closer to the customer, right? I might have a customer in a geographic location that you know shipping and logistics and timing to get that widget to them is a complex issue for me. Boy, this idea of product as a service starts to change the game.
1: That's right. And I mean, for a lot of people, it's hard to uh, conceptualize, but the value is so significant in that you get closer to the client, you get more information about What your product is doing and it allows you to improve the product and accelerate that process in a big way because what it does require is that your product is connected and you got to be able to collect data from that and so those are kind of the the key pieces to get off the ground
0: going back to something you just said sean which i really agree with you have to be able to conceptualize this unpack that just a little bit do you find that that is I don't want to call it a barrier but do you find as you engage with some companies is that difficult at times that companies struggle they they can hang in the conversation but they can't kind of conceptualize how it might work to get to a point where they can shift from manufacturing widgets to providing product as a service
1: it can be difficult to make that leap for example i'll give a specific example we're working with a, a lighting manufacturer And uh, they they build incredible product and they've got vision on building essentially management and automation around controlling the lighting. The actual process of going from basically a lighting manufacturer to lighting as a service is still a big leap for them.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: So we're working on that.
0: Hey, give us the examples of of a couple of other DevIQ projects, if you can, that, that our listeners would be able to relate to. So we're actually melding
1: IoT and uh, healthcare together, and that uh, we're working with healthcare testing labs to automate their testing flows using IoT and software. And uh, wearables are are a part of that in terms of collecting data. So that's a that's an example. I mentioned smart panels. We worked with large manufacturer Nortech Security Controls, which has the Two Gig brand. They're the largest home automation manufacturer for new builds of, of homes. And we've helped them essentially automate by incorporating essentially wireless panels and, and home security products into the home when when you buy a new home. So they work with home builders. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then uh, we've done a lot of visualization of uh, IoT. We actually have a IoT management system that actually went live at Lightfair 2019. So we were initially focused on lighting systems, but it basically enables control and visualization of IoT ecosystems and, and device networks and allows you to see tens of thousands of devices and visualize those all in one single glass. So those are some specific examples around what we've been working on.
0: Very, very cool examples. You know, if we think about the implications of of what you're describing here, you know, without, again, trying to to stay away from buzzwords and dramatic phrases, but these are game-changing technologies. And I'm a believer that technological change precedes cultural change. What do you think as these technologies become more mainstream and this continues, how will it change things like engineering or product development or design? You talked before about perhaps business model changes, right? If I can use that expression connected to your your point about moving from producing a widget to producing a service. What are some other things that you think we might start to see here that this type of technological, you know, uh, step change might create? Yeah.
1: So I have some thoughts there, Tony. First of all, I mentioned that you know i used the the term that came out many years ago from mark Andreessen that software is eating the world i predict that uh, ai is going to eat a lot of software and data interesting yeah basically what we're seeing is uh, you know we're seeing glypses of the future right now in terms of automation robotics machine learning and ai and in industry in particular um, an application of that is uh, predictive maintenance and there are some leaders and companies that are starting to get significant value from predictive maintenance but there is so much more uh, opportunity for improvement there and many many companies i would say the mid sized market in terms of manufacturing is still they have a lot of work to do to get there so there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to take what is there and available today what ai requires in particular is lots of data so you have to start with essentially creating an ecosystem where you can connect to your products or your industrial environment or your factory components and collect the data from those machines and devices. And you got to be able to then ingest that into essentially a cloud environment or a place that that data can then be processed and via using machine learning tools and capabilities. And then from that, you have the ability to start creating prediction algorithms and and learning models that then can then be pushed back down into um, edge devices. So all of those things I just described are happening today in in some form. What I see happening is that becoming much more mainstream and easy for a manufacturer that's not very focused on software today for them to be able to do that. And that's where we help in a big way.
0: Yeah, I I love that example. Sean, I have the feeling the headline of AI will eat software and data just may very well be a headline that gets used out of this uh, this podcast. But hey, to just uh, maybe add a related point to it, Thomas is celebrating its 122nd year in business this year, believe it or not. And it's a company that was always always involved in, in technology and so early adopter of various technologies. And we just went through a step change here based on the amount of data that we capture in real time and all the different things. And we literally changed out every single business system over the last two years of the company. And as we were selecting financial systems, we were moving from a kind of classic old line on-premise software company to something that was more, you know, native cloud based. In discussions, our CTO and myself and our CFO, I would often bring up the idea that this company's been on the same fiscal year for years. I should be able to push a button and your system should be able to recommend to me budgeting and the budgets that we should set up based on the data that are already into the system. And in every one of those conversations, Sean, I'd get the same look, which I'm going to interpret to mean, oh, we know, but you wouldn't need our software as much if we gave you that capability. And it was was kind of an interesting dynamic, right? And as soon as you said artificial intelligence will eat software, that was immediately what popped into my head. Yeah, software has been very essentially siloed and procedural
1: in the past. And essentially AI and machine learning enables us to essentially move beyond that and essentially take functions that have been done in, a, in kind of a very, in some cases, complex way and put them into a model that then predicts and provides information that's far beyond anything that we've experienced today. As you said, for instance, the budgeting information, that's, that should be pretty straightforward if you have that historical data available. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and, and, and I think the obvious point is it's challenging the business models, right, uh, arguably, and and I think that's where digital transformation starts to open the door for business model transformation. And Sean, as we start to round out the conversation here, based on your experience, take us a little bit into the future. Where do you think this is going to go with IoT and IIoT and Industry 4.0? And you've hinted at some of these things, and many of the apps you're developing now certainly would reflect the future. But give us a little more. Where you think this is going to go?
1: Well, prediction is a is a dangerous business,
0: <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. I I would say, uh,
1: you know, along the lines that I mentioned previously, I think that AI is, is going to continue to mature in a significant way, and I think yeah. what what we're seeing is that automation. Back, one of the things I think is very important to understand is that software and technology is becoming more complex, not simpler. It's actually more complex. There's more devices. There's more components and software It's becoming more distributed, it's much, much more complex. And I don't think that that's going to stop. What mitigates that complexity and the risk of complexity is automation. And so being able to automate and automation, you know, AI is somewhat of a form of automation. But automation enables us to keep up with that complexity in the technology. And so automating everything from, you know, software development for us today, we have to automate testing in a big way. Because if we don't automate testing the risk of regression is really high. That becomes pervasive across essentially the entire ecosystem in building software and technology that you've got to create automation techniques around that. So automation will be a requirement, not an optional item you know in the future because you simply won't be able to to deal with the technology or software without it.
0: Great. I'll call it a prediction, but I, uh, I think what you're connecting there, Sean, is what we're starting to see today playing out. And I uh, couldn't, couldn't agree more with your, your fundamental thesis there. Hey, as we, uh, as we finish off the interview here, Sean, I want to thank you again for joining us. There's two questions that we ask all of our guests. Sean, what's the one thing you wish more people understood, now that you're actively involved in it, about manufacturing? Tony,
1: the one thing would be uh, the power and value of moving from a product as a widget model to a product as a service model. It takes a significant shift from the top, yet I believe it's what will distinguish manufacturing companies in the future.
0: I couldn't agree more. If you could put one sentence on a billboard that expresses your personal philosophy, Sean, what would it say?
1: Well, at DevIQ, we see our purpose as building solutions that improve people's lives. And uh, we are liaisons from concept to reality. So it's really about how do do we help our, our clients get from point A to point B? So how can we help you?
0: To learn more about Sean, the innovative IIoT projects happening at DevIQ, and the rapidly developing future of IIoT platforms, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Uphoff and produced by Michaela Tierney. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or recommend us to a colleague. Your feedback helps us continue to advocate for industry across the airwaves.
1: Want to get more insights on supply chain, IOT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.